You're listening to the Gen AI Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Gen AI Podcast. I'm Jamie Van Leeuwen. I'm, as always, joined by Dr. Michael Colo. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Oh, fantastic. How are you? Yes, fantastic. Even better because we have a fantastic guest on today, someone I've been wanting to speak to about photography, about AI, about all the goings on in this creative space at the moment, and that is Michael Christopher Brown. Michael, hello. Hello, hello. So Michael Christopher Brown is a photographer who spent uh, seven months in Libya photographing the Libyan revolution, exploring the iconography of warfare. He's also traveled extensively through countries including Egypt, Congo, Cuba, and Palestine, capturing photographs for the New York Times Magazine and National Geographic. He's aimed to educate and inform on social and political issues in remote and underreported areas of the world. We first met uh, after I did a little experiment, and my experiment was to see if an AI image could enter and win a photography contest. That was a couple of months ago, and it did. Of course, I came clean and I gave the cash back, but it was the first time in the world that an AI-generated image won a photography contest. And there was a lot of uh, discussion, as I hoped for. There was a lot of discussion that rolled off the back of that, some criticism too. But Michael, I met yourself uh, after that. So I just want to ask you, what did you think when you saw that an AI image had not just been entered into a photography competition, but fooled the judges because it was so realistic and maybe marked a bit of a turning of things. You know, I was hearing the, within the community, within the, the genre of photography that I work in, there were a number of conversations um, have been happening, you know, in previous months. And so um, this was just a, was a, was a great example of what is, what is possible now with AI and, uh, <clears throat> You know, as we've seen since then, there's there's another image um, that's a portrait that that was uh, was entered into was entered into a contest and it won. So I think it's I mean it's clear that the the imagery is now has arrived at a place where it's photorealistic enough to sort of um, really be misjudged as being a real photograph. So so I felt like it was something to point out and something to um just was an excellent sort of use case of what is possible now with the technology available and uh to generate uh conversation within the community by using using your your image of the wave as an example yeah what was your initial reaction i mean your background is so much steeped in fact i mean you're in conflict zones you're really trying to report on what's really happening what was your reaction to kind of seeing how realistic the AI imagery can get now? Yeah, it's uh, scary, of course. It's uh, that we're at the point where we can generate imagery like this and um, sort of fool a lot of people into believing that they're, they're real images. But also I think it uh, really opens up a um, world of possibilities for, for, for illustrating with... Um, photographic looking imagery that wasn't possible before um, was maybe possible if you knew Photoshop extremely well and, um, you know, could create composites of an extremely high quality that you could like make a series like, say, Trump being arrested or something and have that look 
go to real estate, but now that the tech is in a place where virtually anyone can kind of learn this um, somewhat easily, um, which is why I used mid journey with the Cuba work was just a way to show that, look, I mean, anyone can sort of generate this kind of imagery. It's clearly at a point where we need to need to create um, safeguards and ways of like knowing that the imagery is real and not real. And I don't know how we do that, but I think it's that that um, that confronting this is, you know, the best way and using the tools is the best way. And especially <clears throat> um, for us who 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 are clear about our methodology, what our intention is, you know, someone like you who came forward and said, you know, this imagery is not real or me presenting the Cuba imagery and saying that it's illustration and um, this is sort of key to bring this work into the global conversation and show show people that it is possible before it's sort of in the hands of people who who um, who will use it against you know the system and for for the darker uh, purposes, which is already sort of happening in well, some sense. Absolutely, and I think I think I just want to ask you a follow up question here. So, uh, what I find very interesting is that. When I saw art being made with Midjourney, there's generally speaking a kind of ooh ah moment, and then people kind of are accepting of it or interested in it. When I saw art or fiction being made with photorealistic style imagery, that's when I think the confusion arose because up until then, the domain of photorealistic art had been uh, physical things that are real being photographed in particular angles, particular lights, but nonetheless are real. And as we had this kind of hard line in our minds to say, if anything that looks like a photograph, it must be real. Somebody actually stood behind the camera, took that thing. But as you're saying, now we can create fiction with photographic tools or, or tools that look like photographic art. And we can't know, we can no longer assume that that is kind of real or not real. And I reading a lot of the comments on, on the social media around your work and, and other people, that to me felt like the contentious point that that kind of gray area where people went, but hang on a minute, you're representing something here that is is only powerful because it's real. Whereas I think had you just been, let's say you'd be not been a, a photographer in your background, but an artist who painted on canvas, the plight of refugees or, or others. And then now you decide to use photographic tools to do do that, but still continue to write fiction or to kind of create fiction. I, th I think the, the approach would have been so, so much different and probably the reaction would have been so much different. I mean, how do you feel about this question of, of truth and creativity mixing together as, as we go forward with tools like AI mid journey. Yeah, I think of course it's always, it's, um, just, um, the main thing is that the, the creator, the author, the artist is clear at the beginning, what it is, how they're executing the, the imagery and how it's being made and what it's for and what their intentions are and the reason. With this Cuba project, a lot of the motivation was that the access was impossible. I was working in Cuba for a few years on and off, working on various projects. And this was something I tried getting access to, but could never access. And even if I could access it, it would photographing whoever is on the crafts and, you know, from the preparation into um, the escape and on the boats and arrival in Miami, Cuba is a small country. Everyone knows each other and um, having people in the imagery who are real. I could create a lot of problems for the people who are left uh, behind in Cuba. Mm. But I think it's um, sort of in the way that like, 
video, you know, we've had moving imagery films, um, you know, the modern myths that have been made for many years now. And some of these films are, uh, can be very realistic looking. Um, and, uh, I remember when I was in college, uh, high school, I guess when, when the Blair Witch, uh, film came out, <laughs> I remember thinking, wait, is this real or not? Terrifying. Terrifying. Um, right. So now we can do that with, with photography, which is amazing because we can tell stories that, that happened, you know, thousands of years ago, or that may happen in the future. And so the possibilities are endless and we just have to be clear with, with the way that we present these. But of course it's uh, on top of that is that the, the access, the accessibility of the tools and the, the ease of execution is um, what really frightens people. And what is very frightening because now that anyone can do it, you don't have to be like a, you know, a film studio and like a whole crew to sort of execute these things. And as we're seeing every day, there's like new tools coming out where you can write a few words and a video is being made. And this is just, you know, these are very, very early tools. Imagine where they're going to be in, you know, even a few months. Right. So, so I think it's just, uh, we're just adjusting and photography is still, um, sort of, uh, you know, the genres of photography have, you know, are somewhat, um, limited and you know the photograph has has always sort of represented reality to an extent um i think much of the population in the world sort of when they see a photograph you know they understand that it may not be you know completely real even really before ai because of all the filters and everything possible and just um uh knowing that you can change imagery you know the public is not stupid but i think uh it's just gotten so much easier. So, so how to, I mean, I really think that, that it's necessary that like, um, companies, entities like Midjourney somehow make it clear that mm -hmm. the imagery is not, you know, real, that it has been generated, that it's somehow synthetic. But I think, I mean, for those of us who use the tools a lot, we, you know, for us, it's a little more clear, right? Because we could see like, you know, the styles and sort of, it's a way that you can kind of tell um, much of the time that something has been generated. Like, for example, the, the uh, I don't know if you saw the news that, that Amnesty International released some images of uh, Colombia. There were protesters in Colombia and like one of the protesters was being arrested. This happened, I believe yesterday, or like a few days ago. And they had used these images in their feed or something, but they had said at the bottom that they were synthetic images. But, um, you know, for me, when I saw the images, I was thinking these are very, very illustrative looking mm. for me, like it was clear that they weren't photographs, but, uh, I think it's only because now I've been experimenting with, with AI, but for someone who's just on the street, they, they may not, they may not know the difference. Um, but of course, you know, it's not like we can, we, you know, we could share synthetic imagery and include like say watermarks or something with every image, but then you, you know, you somehow destroy and affect, you know, the power of the image. So how to deal with these things is still very much up in the air in some ways. I remember being in the UK when Brexit was on, and there was this very famous picture, this long line of Syrian refugees, which was an actual picture, but was actually being misused to represent illegal, illegal migration coming to the UK, which of course didn't exist. So I think we've got a long history of using actual photographs for other purposes. 
and therefore misrepresenting it. So imagine if they had not used a fake generated one, but they, maybe they used a protest from another country and kind of blurred around the edges mm -hmm. a little bit and said, here it is, look, there's some people upset. You should uh, you should think about this. So I, I think the falsehood around this or the kind of emotional context is perhaps one of the things that the average person on the street goes, you know what, I, I understand you want to get my attention. You want to make me feel for these people, but please don't use these tools to try to manipulate me. And I guess the question is, do we feel like generative AI might be a tool that is used to create hyper-real photo photography, not for the purpose of education, but for the purpose of manipulation? And therefore, people start to turn against not just a, the outcome, but the tools and the organizations using the tools. Mm. Yeah, the, the uh, one thing that I'll say on that last point is that, um, like, in some ways, very similar to a writer. So when, like, someone like Seymour Her Hirsch who used to be at the New York Times when he reports about a gasoline explosion in the Ukraine and connecting that somehow with the American government, then I'm going to listen. But if it's like some writer who's just like, you know, in college and they're interested in writing and they write that story, but they're like an unknown quantity and they may not like have the integrity because they don't have the experience in the years of reporting, then of course I'm going to question it. So, Really, at the end of the day, it's uh, like, of course, as a writer, you can write anything you want about anything in the world. And so really, it comes down to the author who's telling the story and will we believe them? I mean, in a way, it's like we have our history paintings and we have we have various kinds of illustrations going back in the very beginning of human history. Who are we going to believe? Uh, the people who we know, like, say, for example, Paul Gogwin, who spent time in the South South Pacific. Maybe I'll believe, you know, the content of his paintings, of course, it's like very interpretive, but maybe I'll be like more prone to believing, you know, the colors and the content because he was actually there. Or um, in my case in Cuba, because I spent a few years there working on and off gathering various, you know, information about the country and the people who travel in the US and growing up in the US and watching these people come ashore and doing research online, of course, this imagery is um, contains contents of um, the information that I've gathered that I've that I've used as prompts um, to just illustrate a story. So, so I think it's um, uh, we have to look at like who's who's telling the story at the end of the day is you know is everything in some ways. Mm. Michael, I'm sure you've had plenty of conversations with lots of different photographers in your field. What do you tell them about AI? What are the conversations that are being had right now between, you know, photographers with the rise of AI? Do they fear getting replaced? Uh, are they okay with it? Is it just a different sector? What's the conversations happening right now? I've had, um, I've had a lot of conversations in my DMs and offline over the phone. I know that there's, there's a lot of photographers who, who are experimenting with it who are within the same genre as me, but they're not being public about it because of the stigma. And, uh, but I think it's um, something, yeah, some people see it as a threat, but I think um, there's also a lot of people who see it as like a new way to really um, share stories, communicate stories, not as a journalist, not as like a documentarian, but just, just as a storyteller, you know? There's a lot of photographers who work within the genre who, 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 um, who of course 
care about the truth and care about journalism. And that's why most of us are doing it. Certainly it's not for the money, but uh, we're also artists at the same time. So, so if there's a way to communicate a story that is not possible, which is, um, which happens actually quite a lot uh, within the field of photojournalism, you, know, you, you, you can't get access for whatever reason. Um, why not try and illustrate it with, um, with an imagery that is photographic looking as long as you're clear about it, right? These, uh, these illustrations can really have a lot of power and that's why, you know, that, you know, one of the reasons why publications have used them for so many years alongside uh, reporting because they can offer a window into a situation when the photograph is impossible. I mean, it, it's a really tough problem because I was, as I was listening to you, Michael, I was thinking about the same thing for text. So I, I work a lot with ChatGPT and the text purposes. So could, if I wrote an article about the plight of a North Korean refugee that was completely fictional, but I used elements of truth from <clears throat> North Korea, from, from what kind of happens on average, maybe a, a style of writing, that would people be familiar with in terms of like a New York, um, you know, Wall Street Journal style or New York Times kind of style. And then I put that out there and I said, look, this is a very powerful story about some something real that's happening. It's just not true. But but I'm sure it's happening. I just this particular detail is not true. My intention is to represent the truth. But because I can't get that level of detail, I can't go to the weeds, I can't meet these people. I then kind of create a story and a narrative. I suppose the question becomes, where where do I do that? I can't publish that in New York Times, certainly not, and, and places like that. It's not quite in the fiction aisle either. So so where would it be? I don't know. It's a good question uh, as a writer. Um, it's not really, of course, uh, the field that I work with it much, but I would just sort of say that, that it's a fiction um, of some kind. It's a work of art. It's a... Uh, um, yeah, if it's not like, if it's not really based on reality, the content, uh, can pull information from reality, but if it's not reality, then it's, then it's, then it's a fiction, right? It's like, um, yeah, when someone's pregnant, they can't be a little bit pregnant, right? They're pregnant or they're not. So it's like, you, of course, in the fiction, we pull elements of, um, reality into it, but I think it's, uh, you know, it's either nonfiction or it's fiction. Um, I don't know. If but, that but that's a great question. <clears throat> How would you apply that then to photography? So at what point in time does photography lapse into fiction? How much do I have to touch up a picture and change tones and colors and people's shapes and figures, which you see today happening? Or in the future, generate with Gen AI, just generate a picture altogether that I, I think represents my mind's eye. Maybe the new camera with me, something happened in front of me, whatever. But itself is not a not a picture, but it's made, made to look like a picture. Where's where's that line? I mean, yeah, in some ways, really, the line has always been blurred because just the way the camera records, whether it's on film or digital, or you're shooting black and white or color, or you're adding contrast or not, even a raw file can often be way more flat than reality. So, so it's always been, but when we talk about the content of the image and what is actually recorded in the image. Um, that is kind of where, what we can, what we can play with, you know, like what we can, um, what we can somehow maybe, um, whether it's, uh, 
when the image is made, it's immediately somehow being recorded on the blockchain or some sort of like way to archive it immediately. So we know that it's um, the imagery in the moment that it was made looked it looked like this from this kind of camera from this kind of um, which of course, you know, with analog is, uh, you know, is possible if we see the film strip, but something that can be verified by the world globally, publicly, that would be extremely useful. And, you know, there's people working on that right now. I'm sure at some point it's going to be, will will have to become a plus, um, will have to be present, you know, as we become overrun by, by AI and this imagery. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, another big talking point that's going on at the moment is copyright. And particularly around photographers' work, artists' work, how much ownership do you have of this? I mean, we've seen plenty of cases right now where, you know, these AI image generators are scraping the internet and taking possibly your own work, Michael, and, you know, being trained on that. Love to get your views on that side of things. Yeah, I'm completely open to it. And if anything, I would love for you know, 100% of all my imagery to be trained in these models. You know, for me, it doesn't bother me. My imagery, in fact, is uh, really uh, you know, the way that I make it, um, the, you know, the technique and, you know, the angles and everything comes from like years of me studying other photographs. Uh, yeah, of course I made them, um, but I think it's uh, really being used inside a model. It's one thing if like, someone is uh, generating an image that is exactly like the image of mine that was used in a model. That can be problematic if they're literally not changing anything. But even if they're adding like a few elements or something, then it, then it becomes a question of like, well, where is the, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the artist Richard Prince, but um, he took many images that were made of American cowboys years ago and basically just um, re-photographed them and then made prints and then maybe added a few pieces of a uh, scotch tape on the corners or whatever, and then sold them for, for a lot of money. And there was a case against him that he won because it was like another, like it was an iter one iteration or a few iterations away from the original work. Um, so, and when I'm generating imagery using mid journey, that is from like hundreds of millions of photographs that is being you know, every day, like millions more images are being added in the mix, then it's, um, yeah, I don't really have a problem with that. I don't think other photographers should either. Um, as far as copyright on the imagery I create, that's an interesting conversation. Of course, like the, the imagery is being generated from existing photographs that are, um, that are both copyrighted and non-copyrighted, but I don't really, uh, um, in some ways, it's very like similar to a writer who is reading, say it's like even a reporter who's, who's on the scene somewhere and they're reading other reports from the region. They're gathering information from other writers, other reporters, other photographers, other people on the ground, witnesses, et cetera, et cetera. They're essentially extracting um, various pieces of, you know, myriad kinds of information into their reports which is in some ways is kind of like similar to this imagery that we're generating. And then they're creating a unique work. Um, uh, so, uh, but of course, you know, you can't really copyright the spoken word. Um, and if someone's pulling small pieces from existing um, 
stories out there and using them in their own texts. I mean, how do you copyright that? Um, but yeah, the creation part of it, like the imagery we create, I think at some point should should have some kind of some kind of copyright because it's so removed from um, the originals that unless you can really see a clear difference, then it doesn't really make sense. I don't think. Yeah. That's just my yeah. Okay, and I think I'd even go further than that. I would say that it's not just about the the way that we learn through text, but also through conversations like this one. So this podcast will be transcribed and it will eventually be fed into an algorithm and the algorithm will learn about the way they were responding to each other and communicating in terms of how we reason and so on. Let me ask you a little bit of a, of a sticky question. I like sticky questions sometimes. <laughs> so um, is there a topic that you would not use generative AI for? So let's say you wanted to create a piece using a kind of photorealistic approach. Um, and is there any topic that you would say, oh, I, I better not use Gen AI for that. I better try to go out of my way to photograph or, or a particular thing because it's a sensitive topic or it just doesn't go well or something else. Or do you think that there isn't such a thing? And the context of this question before you answer, just to give you time to think about it, is that when I was looking at your work, which which was really amazing on, on the refugee topic, a lot of the comments that I saw were people sharing personal experiences of families and things like that. And then kind of being upset because of their personal attachment to that topic, saying, well, you you shouldn't blur the lines of fiction on this topic because it's so personal and so important. If you blur the lines on ice cream and beaches and you know easygoing topics, sure, do whatever you like. Marketing campaigns have been doing that forever. And I feel a little bit like bringing that back to the refugee point previously, where I think part of the reason people are upset is because the the, the kind of human tragedy that was being displayed was a quote unquote serious or emotional topic. Mm. Had it been an ice cream ad, nobody would have cared, mm. you know, what, what it looks like. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. Like it's a very fair point as well, of course. I think, um, I don't really know what the answer is. I think uh, as part of why I made this, this project as an experiment, you know, to sort of like field conversation around the topic. Um, certainly there's a lot of people who feel like imagery of war, for example, should not like real life imagery of war should not be shown. Like, uh, just as an example, when we see imagery in the New York Times from the war in Ukraine, do we really see images of war? I would say no. We see images of explosions. We may see an image of like someone on patrol or holding a gun or like in a trench on the front line. We may occasionally see an image like what say, Lindsay Adario shot like last year of um, a family who were killed on the street, but we may not actually like see what, what the worst cases of the effects of war look like. The bodies, the blood, the gore, the, what I call the, the, the real imagery of war is the kind of thing that, that can really um, make a change, make a difference. When the Vietnam War was happening, there were way less restrictions on the press. And you could just, as a photographer, hop on almost like any helicopter and fly anywhere you wanted and record any kind of imagery you wanted um, you wanted to and send it back in the U.S. And a lot of that ran in American publications. And that was um, that made a huge difference to the public who then began questioning, like, why are we dying like this? Why is this happening? Um, the imagery of war that we have most of the time nowadays, I would say 99% of the time, more than 99% of the time is heavily sanitized, 
we don't actually see what war really looks like. And that's why when I made this book, Libyan Sugar, that's why I include a lot of images that, that are very questionable for, for a lot of people. And a lot of people really objected and said, we don't have to show this kind of imagery. Well, the problem is if we're showing a sanitized view of something, which is, which like essentially means we're not showing the full reality of what something can look like and what something actually looks like. So going back into the Cuba 90 miles project, how many Cubans have been lost at sea? How many of them have drowned? We do see the imagery of them arriving in the boats. If you go on Google search, we never see the images of the ones who were lost or the ones who drowned, or maybe the ones who were, who were retrieved after they drowned. We never see the horrific imagery. Now, is that necessary? I don't know. Is, would that be something that history, the history of humanity would be interested in seeing in the future? I don't know, but I think probably, we would probably want to know just as we would want to know about say what the imagery of, uh, you know, the Roman legions looked like. Um, what do they actually look like? What did they actually do? What did those war scenes actually look like? I think it's useful to know these things. Um, but at the same time, I don't have the answers. You know, I just have opinions. Um, most of the Cuba project has not been minted, so it hasn't been seen. So there's actually the hardest imagery in some ways has not even been seen yet, mm. um, which is imagery of the crossing. I think it's worth, um, especially with, with, with imagery that is clearly stated as being created with AI um, that speaks to situations that, that happen in real life. I think it's worth exploring them. But at the same time, I don't think that it's always necessary. Um, but then, but then I don't know, I mean, we're still like very much in the infancy. So I think it should be explored mm. fully. But, but so we know. what you point out is a really interesting double standard we have, right? So we are already being censored in a certain kind of information. Mm. And then the other things that is getting through the censorship is being called real, but then people object to, you know, in this case, generative AI creating versions of that real thing. But, 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 you know, the, the, the first hand, I, I remember the photograph that I think points to this point so well was in Europe about the, uh, the, the refugees crossing again. And it was a four year old child on the beach and drowned. And that photo will stay with me forever because I had children and, and it kind of brought in that moment to me, the impact on a very personal level of, of what that means. So yeah, absolutely. It's necessary. That is reality. If you really want real photography and you want to see the world for what it is, show that, mm. I, I, I would say. So, so I'll take a little bit more of a pro proactive stance in, in the topic and say that's absolutely what reality is. And so maybe the question becomes when we start using Gen AI to produce those kinds of pictures, mm. what happens, right? So when, when, when some of those really impactful pictures start to emerge, which are outside of our comfort zone and censorship zones today, and they're not real, I think that that would be a whole, whole other kind of question. Yeah. Michael, look, it's been fantastic to speak to you. And look, I really praise what you're doing. I think you've been so open and progressive in opening this up, this conversation up and opening yourself up to a bit of criticism too. I think it's it's been really fantastic to see you experimenting and exploring this space. So thanks for joining us today. And uh, we both look forward to, to having you back on again soon. Hey, likewise. Yeah, I appreciate the conversation. Thanks a lot for the opportunity.
Thanks for listening to the Gen AI podcast.